On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich foods, and he will swallow up death forever. In the name of Jesus, amen. My great-grandmother, Elik, J-I-L-E-K, a Czech name, my father's father's mother, Grandma Elik died in July of 1978. And hers is the first, the first death, the first funeral that I remember, at least that I, I think I remember. I, I vaguely recall walking up to her coffin and looking in, and since I could barely see over the side, her plasticky-looking face uh, was just about, just about level with mine. I, I don't remember much of an actual funeral, But I do remember, again, I think I remember, a big family gathering afterwards at my grandpa's cousin's big house up on the hill. And I remember some some really spicy dish that had creamy gravy in it, and it being very, very loud. Thirteen years later, when great-grandma Elix's son, my grandpa Mayton, died, someone made the same dish. And I learned it was Czech-style chicken paprikash. And one of the uncles gave me a, a small taste of the Slivovitz, 100-proof plum brandy from the old country, which I thought was nasty, by the way. He gave me a small taste of the Slivovitz, which most of the adults were having large tastes of, <laughs> which explains why it was so loud and boisterous, not only then, but also back in 1978. Same stuff. I deduced in that part of the family, when someone dies, you get together to eat paprikash and get blitzed on Slivovitz. (laughs) Apart from Grandma Elik, Grandpa Mayton, I guess I remember most clearly then the deaths of my, my two grandmothers, an uncle, and a cousin who died way too soon. Which, as far as death goes, I know is not a whole lot. As a pastor, I, I've done dozens of funerals for dear parishioners who I did care for, do care for. But still, that's different from the kind of an amount of death Many of you have known, many of you have been touched by, maybe a different verb would be better, punched, pummeled by, by loss in ways far more significant than I have, at least so far. Now and again, I think of those who I've lost, but many, many of you never stop thinking about your losses. Barbara was a woman from a, the congregation I served up in, in Connecticut some time ago. And uh, before I, I'd come there, maybe 20 years before Barbara, she had suffered severe internal radiation burns from a cancer treatment. Never healed. And I remember asking her or once, the response she, she gave When I asked her how she was feeling, she said, I hurt, but then again, I don't really remember 
what it's not, what it's what it's like not to hurt. <laughs> I hurt, but I don't really remember what it's like not to hurt. Barbara had also lost a son earlier in life. And I'm not sure if she was talking about the hurt from the burns or the grief. Probably both. And many of you get that. And most of us will someday. Death. Grief over the past losses. Maybe anxieties too over what's to come for you or those whom you love. Death can be like a hurt that you can hardly remember not being there. A constant fog that makes it hard to breathe. Or maybe like a veil or a shroud that just hangs over everything. It's that last image, of course, that we heard old Isaiah using in our Old Testament reading for today. In chapter 25 of the book of, of his book of prophecy, he sees death as a covering spread over all peoples, envisions death as a great veil, a cosmic shroud over all the nations. And now the prophet Isaiah preaching and prophesying some seven centuries before Christ, that guy knew death. Not just physical death too, but death in all its guises. He had himself lived through a time of massive bloodshed. In the chapters before ours, Isaiah, in most graphic detail, speaks of the death of whole nations, of peoples for whom everything good and beautiful and kind has died or will soon and lies festering. He tells of spiritually dead individuals forgetful of God, killing one another by the greed and self-centeredness, depriving the least, depriving the least of what they need and so depriving them of life itself. So much death. Painted post, uh, a most morbid and powerful picture in chapter 24, Isaiah said, the earth staggers like a drunken man. <laughs> a drunk earth. Now there's an image that fits not just uh, uh, 700 B.C., but also A.D. 2020. Looking around, it's not hard to imagine someone asking, is the world drunk or something? <laughs> Has the universe been sipping the slip of it? <laughs> because this is all really getting out of hand. A drunk earth, drunk with death. Isaiah knew all about it, so do you. Physical death, the gaping wound it leaves, depression that feels like emotional death, a dead will, powerless over addiction, dead relationships, ones you very well may have had a hand in slaying. The line from a Walker Percy novel has a wife saying to her husband, the main character, she says, don't you see? People grow away from each other. We're dead. So much death. The fog, the ache, the veil. Isaiah, he knew all about that. But he knew something else too. He is nothing if not a realist about death. 
But by the time the prophet gets to chapter 25, he is singing in a different key. (laughs) No longer the dirge of death. It's a cantata of joy breaking forth. Transported to some future time to all of those, to all of you too familiar with the valley of the shadow of death, Isaiah sings of a mountain. The mountain, the mountain of the Lord of armies, this Lord who's now traded his armor for an apron and his sword for a spatula. You see the warrior God, he's now a cook and he's a caterer. Fatty foods, well prepared, full of marrow and rich. The Hebrew words list literally fat food. (laughs) Fat food, strong wine, the very best poured right up to the top of the glass like you like to pour it. For all his people making pilgrimage out of that valley up to his mountaintop cafe at a great feast. And while they're eating lamb steaks and Bordeaux chasers or surely creamy paprikash and slivovitz if God's cooking for checks. While the pilgrims are feasting, while the caterer, he just sits back. He's not eating. Why? Because he's already dying. For the Lord God has swallowed up death forever. (laughs) Fog lifted, veil pulled away, hurt gone, warrior turned caterer, now becomes like a dear mother with her box of tissues, wiping away all the tears, so many tears from so many faces. Glorious, this vision. It's for speaking like this, writing like this, that the 4th century church father, St. Jerome, he said, Isaiah, he is the fifth evangelist. He says, we don't just have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospel writers. We have a fifth. For even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cannot out-good-news this good-newser, Isaiah. What images, what joy, what hope. That's what it's finally about, isn't it? Hope. I worked out at a Y once that had this a saying scrawled across the wall, like in calligraphy. It said, he who has health has hope, and he who has hope has everything. Now, between sets, you know, I could ponder that and, and, and think to myself, well, you know, it's, it's a nice saying, but it's not quite true. <laughs> On the one hand, I could, I could think to myself, you know, from talking to various people here, I know it's not the case that he who has health has hope because I've met plenty of hopeless people here, <laughs> some of whom seem to only have their health. But then perhaps more, more seriously, on the other hand, I could think to myself, it's simply not true that the one who has hope has everything. For the one who has hope does not have Grandma Elik to talk to. But the one who has hope has something. That would have been better. Call it a promise. Call it a comfort. We could call it a context, but that's just a little too dry of a word. So again, maybe we should go back to that fifth evangelist. Better than context, Isaiah says, he says God has swallowed up death. The warrior God turned caterer God, turned Kleenex God. He has swallowed up death. And you know what that means? I hear that saying that death now is somehow inside of God. 
All that death that you and me and Isaiah, death and all its guises inside God. Take it inside God. Hell inside his great, big, gracious belly. It's not outside of his control. It's not crazy. It's not chaos. But even death itself is inside God. And I know, I said before, Isaiah was transported to this future time, a time which is even future to us, when death is swallowed up once and for all. But you and I, we know something that even that 7th century B.C. good newser did not know, did not see, at least not clearly. And that is that the great swallowing has already started. I love how the author of the Hebrews puts it. He says, talking of Jesus, he says, by his suffering and death, by grace, he has tasted death for everyone. Tasted death. Get that Jesus, God in the flesh, tasted death. And I hear that as Jesus taking a nibble. (laughs) Getting to start on the great swallowing to come. So that somehow already, all that death, still horrible. Still hurts, still can't hug grandma or Barbara, her son, but somehow already all that death is inside God. Which, though it is not everything, is something. And what it is, is hope. It's the hope we gather around every week when we show up here for what we might call the (laughs) pre-party. I had friends, friends in college, never me, because I was always too busy studying. (laughs) I had friends in college who used to talk that way before heading out for the evening's feast for the main party. They'd say, hey, let's do a little pre-party back at the apartment. The pre-party, that's what we do here every week. And because it's a pre-party of hope, we can hardly go two minutes without tipping our hats to the big party to come. Glory to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now and forever, who lives and reigns now and forever. Before we hear the gospel of Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. In the creed, we say we're looking to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We pray every week, deliver us from evil, which if you think about it, you know what you're really finally praying for when you say, deliver us from evil. You're saying, take me from this valley of tears. Deliver me once and for all and put me at that mountaintop feast. If you listen close. If you listen close here and, 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 really, and really peek up your ears, and sometimes along with the angels and archangels, I swear you can hear all the company of heaven. All the dear departed singing overhead as the Lord Jesus gets some catering practice for the great feast to come as he hosts you at his pre-party table. The body and blood of the one who has tasted death, who has death inside of him. It will strengthen and preserve you in body and soul until you make your way up his mountain. Join the new song and get your fill of rich, fatty foods and the very best of wines.
That's all part of the pre-party of hope we do here every week. And as long as the veil still hangs and the hurt lasts, we'll keep doing it. To remind myself of that hope, I did something else this week. I went to the ABC store over on Main Street, picked up a bottle of Slivovitz. <laughs> the uncles from the old country wouldn't be so happy because they only had a Croatian variety, but hey, I had to settle for that. And then in the Instapot, I made some chicken paprikash following a recipe that included two full cups of heavy whipping cream, extra fatty. That was delicious. The Slivovitz was still nasty. (laughs) But most importantly, is that I ate and drank as practice, as hopeful practice for the feast to come. You might do something similar sometime soon. Throw out your diet and make something full of fat. (laughs) If it's your thing, add some strong drink. And then eat and drink in hope-filled practice for the mountain feast when the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and more than a taste, he will swallow up death once and for all. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.